Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open You are tuned in to that late night talk show for your unconscious mind. Yes, a theme park for your intellect and imagination. The place of the unexplained, the conspiratorial, the paranormal, the mysterious, the magical, the hypnotic. You are tuned in. To Open Loops with Greg Bornstein. Conversations that band. Hey everybody. Greg Bornstein here. Your curator of experience. Your consciousness disruptor. Your cultural hypnotist, your all-around looper. Pleasure to have you. Yes, what is an open loop exactly? Well, we'll get to that in a second. You see, my goal is to challenge your existing belief systems with radically unique ideas shared by me and featured guests as a way to stimulate your unconscious mind. And that way, ultimately... You step into the highest version of yourself. Yes, I'll tell you what an open loop is. It's what I did when I didn't answer the question about open loops. You see, open loops are just that. Unconscious provocations. Questions that are unanswered. Cliffhangers. The proverbial dot dot dot. We go into all sorts of topics that just open up more loops, inspire more wonder, and make you question the nature of it all for positive self-growth, all, all that stuff. Yes, pleasure to have you, Neil Gore, my guest today. He is a looper to the max. Portaltoascension.org, if you go to that website, you will see this man does everything I dream of. He is talking to people... I mean, he's got James Redfield. He knows that guy, the Celestine Prophecy. If anyone who's anyone knows anything about the New Age, that was vague enough that it was vaguely hypnotic, saying something without saying anything. I'm great at it. Got me through uh, AP English. So, yes, uh, if, if you know anything about the New Age movement, the Celestine Prophecy is huge. Oh, uh, Neil was the guy that was producing his events for a while. Agin Nost, who we've had on this show. Neil worked with him. Omar Fazy, 
well, Omar Fazi is very important. Actually, I am having Neil on as well as some other people this week and next because Neil Gore, who he is a UFO, uh, a brainiac, he knows all about it. He is a esoteric uh, alchemist of sorts, a researcher, a a activist in all levels of disclosure. Neil will be a featured speaker at Omar Fazi's Forgery Unmasked, which is a three-day virtual summit coming up March 27th through the 29th. Tons of great people there. Uh, George Mitrovic, who we had on, he was the one who talked about the, the the theory of the portals all over the world and Bigfoot and the significance of that. Uh, Age Nost, who I mentioned, who did the episode about how to reverse your aging. Michael Feely, the real Dan Brown, he's going to be there as well. Omar, of course, the hidden history of the Illuminati. There's going to be tons of great people there. I'm going to be there. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to do the hypnotic thing of saying there are tons of great people and then putting my name after it. And now by telling you that, it makes you diminish, potentially, great people, Greg. It all comes down to self-belief, man. Do I believe I'm great? I'm going to take a neutral position. I'll let you judge my greatness. I do appreciate you listening, though. This episode's very fun. Uh, I could have gone a lot longer with Neil. And believe me, we're going to. We talked about Roswell. We talked about Elon Musk and his recent position on aliens. We talked about 2012 and the significance of that date. We talked about government remote viewing projects. Yeah, it's a, it's a mind bender. My favorite kind of episodes. We go all over. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that uh, for some reason my audio wasn't as great as it could have been for this one. So, apologies. That said, Neil sounds great. Also, the ideas are great. If you like Open Loops, make sure you follow it on Apple Podcasts. And, hey look, I'd be very grateful if you... uh, Give the show a rating and and leave a even a one word review. Good, you could just scream neutral five stars, whatever you want. I really appreciate you listening to the show. Neil Gore is a very engaging guest. He's one of those guys that you get him on a topic and he just unravels. He unrolls. Love that kind of thing. All of a sudden, just stuff is spitting out of him. I think that's part of this whole ascension thing, portal to ascension. It's it's channeling into that unfiltered muse. Ah. It's cool stuff. What if ascension was just everybody tapping into their own internal creative flow? Ah. Neil brought that out of me. Beautiful. Thank you, Neil. You're going to enjoy this one. Also, credit to Rodney McGilvery, who was the guest of last episode uh, of the show. He was the guest on the last episode, and that music you heard at the beginning, which I love, he came up with it. Open Loops theme song? What do you think? We'll never get rid of that Zero Boy intro, though. 
zero boy. People have asked, they think it's me doing the sound effects at the top of it. It's not. I like the idea that is a mystery, though. That's zero boy, the vocal cartoonist. Anyways, you're going to enjoy Neil. Sometimes, you know what? I like talking to you all. I do these interviews, but sometimes I like that. Maybe, oh, someone's skipping ahead. You can skip. You can skip ahead the next thirty seconds to get right to the interview. That, that's the good stuff here. That's the. We'll just say neutral. Get ready for some alien talk. You're gonna like it. Today on Open Loops, we have Neil Gore of Portal to Ascension. Yes, he is a esoteric alchemist, uh, a disclosure activist, if you will, an explorer of all all things, uh, well, mystical, uh, spiritual, extraterrestrial. We're going to see how it all fits together. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. It's really nice to be with you, brother. Yeah, man. You know, I am. I'm. I'm very excited to delve into all of this. Uh, you know, tell me this. I know that in your background story, you you were very much. Uh, well, you're from the the Hindu religion. Uh, mm-hmm. Grew up with that. I imagine. Did you have like a strong atheistic, skeptical phase before you went full into this sort of spiritual realm? Yeah, definitely. I would say like. Well, what I was. I used to say a lot when I would go around speaking about my, you know, my life experiences was that I was an atheist Hindu. Like I would call myself that kind of jokingly, but also semi-serious because like what I've actually noticed, especially a lot of younger uh, second, first, second generation outside of India people that were raised in Hinduism is that they don't really have any concrete beliefs. It's done a lot because of, you know, tradition and culture. And we're following culture a lot, which we see a lot within organized religion, a lot of blind faith. So some of them, I would say, like, even if they go to temple, a lot of my family and my friends would go to temple, but were completely atheist. So I just did everything kind of robotically, what I was told, because it was what's expected from a good little Indian kid. But I truly didn't have any concrete beliefs. The only time I really ever, like, would say anything to God was when something would go wrong in my life. And I wasn't even really asking God. I was just like, God, why? Right? So yeah. I never really truly believed. And then um, in when I was like 18, you know, I, I was getting more into quantum physics and ancient history and topics like that. And so I had a brief period. I had belief there the whole time. It was in the background, but I really never like ever thought about the existence of an actual God and is there a religion and all this stuff. And then there was a short phase from that moment when I left, you know, high school around 18, when I got out of the cultural norms thing and I started researching ancient history and quantum physics before I went into spirituality. So I wasn't, I want to say I was a hundred percent atheist. I just really never had the time for it. I wasn't like, you know, God, um, God doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Right. I just never right. even really cared. I just did what I had to do. I'm just living on this earth. It wasn't even a thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I know you were very much influenced by, I mean, people like Jim Self and Jordan Maxwell, who are mm-hmm. big voices in the, uh, well, certainly Jordan Maxwell is the conspiracy, one of the top conspiracy theorist oh, yeah. writers of all time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I wonder with this stuff, because for me, I'm always going from the intellectual and then 
noticing the heart connections that happen and going, oh, maybe there is something more. Was there actually a moment, an experiential transformative moment where you said, yeah, there's something more here than material reality? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, It was really when I graduated high school, it was 18, 19, 2000, 2001, when I discovered the people that you're, you just mentioned, Jordan Maxwell was my, one of my first, the first individuals I watched anything on. And then Nassim Haramein, Jim Self, uh, William Henry, when I started going into Jordan Maxwell's material, I quickly went into the Sumerian tablets of creation. And I actually ended up, you know, reading them myself and reading the translations. And while I was doing this and reading information on ancient scriptures and specifically the information on the Anunnaki, there were all these metaphors alluding to like some advanced science. Um, for example, the DNA strands that you see on Sumerian scriptures and hieroglyphics, the little spiral things are supposed to be DNA strands. And those are actually representation of advanced science. And mm. when you see when you see snakes and serpents in Sumerian scriptures, it's also a representation sometimes of wormholes, of traveling from planets. Um, so I was reading into this and I was like, okay, that makes sense. And as I was learning that and understanding that this ancient information was based on a science that we're only now rediscovering and this spirituality that they're all referring to had to do with vibration and frequency and vibration and frequency is something that I can quantify with my linear mind. That Mm. was my aha moment. So understanding the extraterrestrial connection, realizing that it's all a frequency game and that's a true science that exists, that the reason why we can't perceive certain ETs is because we vibrate at different frequencies. That brought me to the realization that meditation is a vibration um, thing. Um, Yoga is is a vibratory thing. Um, Eating good food is all vibration. So all these spiritual components are really manipulating and maneuvering the frequency within us. So understanding science and vibration and frequency started bringing me back to the fact that all these ancient texts had something here. We're talking about something that is real and the spiritual component, the bridge between like science and religion and spirituality was this understanding of vibration and frequency. Hmm. Did you actually experience uh, a moment of high vibration that was transformative for you? Yeah, well, I did psilocybin, you know, quite a few times. Mushrooms, <laughs> okay, yeah. And I had I had high vibrate, vibratory experiences on mushrooms. <laughs> and um, when I was having these aha moments, because it was like from 2002 to 2005 was everyday mind explosion, like boom, 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 just complete like awareness of all this stuff. And it really continued even now, like my mind's being explode, exploding every day with all the information I'm learning. So when I was when I was having these aha moments, that is really the time that I, you know, that I felt that. What do you think it is? I, I do wonder about uh, tapping out in the sense that uh, both of us are are actually appearing at this uh, forgery unmasked event uh, that yes. Omar Fazi's throwing uh, March 29th, uh, 27th through the 29th. And that event has a lot of a lot of various speakers on all different topics, yeah. um, people, ancient civilizations, Atlantis, uh, ETs, tons of different aspects of this. But I do sometimes fear, Neil, that there's mm-hmm. going to be a certain point where you're talking about Sumerian aliens. Someone else is talking about Sumerian aliens. Someone else is going to say, oh, look, there are signs of this. Look at the elongated skulls, all this stuff. And I'm going to go, yeah, okay, we know it all. How can you, how do you believe that we're going to keep discovering more mind-blowing things? What is the rabbit hole of continuous mind-blowing things? (laughs) Or are we going to tap out? That's what I fear. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so 
are we going to tap out because there's too many mind-blowing things? Or are you saying, well, the mind-blowing things phase out because we've already experienced them all? Yeah, because we just know them all. Everybody's talking about it now. Yeah. The rabbit hole goes so much deeper than even people that have been in this for so long, you know, even have the time to really think about. Um, The information just coming out all the time is unprecedented. Right now, we know a lot of information based on researchers. Let's just talk about ancient history, for example. Yeah, sure. Um, Archaeology and forbidden archaeology. So much has come out there. And, um, you know, even Michael Cremo, who's a guy I work with, created a book called Forbidden Archaeology. Right. Um, there's Hugh Newman that's showing the giant, um, um, the history of giants living on earth. See, this is all there, but all the actual hardcore evidence in regards to like getting this out on a mass level and how much is out there has still been actually manipulated and hidden. A lot of it hasn't come out to the public yet. So when I feel whenever and if we get to this point where we hit a critical mass and the floodgates open of information, there's so much out there that, even we, for example, you and I, we're speculating about Atlantis. We know Atlantis existed, probably existed around 13,000 years ago, right? But there are actually like um, there are actually documents, scriptures, and so much more that has actually been taken and hidden and kept away from us for so long. So what will happen when we get to a point when not only do we have to stop speculating about it, researching it, and putting the pieces together, but all this other information and all these other scriptures start coming out? So mm. that's just one thing. And now with UFOs and ETs, it goes so deep. I mean, the fact is that it looks like that we may have ancestral connection to a lot of these extraterrestrials. We know mm. that's probably a reality. Many people I work with and know about talk about it. But what happens when we start figuring out what our actual ancestry is, where we came from, and what our galactic story is? There's so many pieces to the story that we haven't even put together yet. I can tell yeah. you five different theories about the same time in history but maybe they didn't happen at the same time. And maybe I have my stories incorrect, but there is information out there that could put it all together. And I feel, you know, we're in the time now that it's going to start coming out to the masses, hopefully within the next few years, uh, when it comes to archeology, span let me just mention that yeah. two, two years ago with archeology, span um, if you had anything going against the conventional timeline, you were ridiculed and you know, you would, your career would be kind of like um, your career would be threatened but now yeah. a lot of alternative archaeologists are actually becoming more mainstream than before, which is allowing for these archaeologists to go and do more research and get the funding they need to figure out more information. So lots is coming out and they haven't even discovered, you know, a lot of things yet. The Sahara Desert is the biggest unexplored place in the entire world. Really? You know how much is over there? 10,000 years ago, the whole of the Sahara Desert was an oasis. This is conventional knowledge. The strip of the whole planet around the equator was an oasis. The Sahara Desert had great civilizations in there, but it's the least explored place in the entire world. How many places do you think on Earth are underexplored? Oh, definitely the Amazon. Definitely uh, the Yucatan jungle, right? Last year alone, they found two new um, ancient structures in the Yucatan jungle that no one's even visited yet. So Mm. there's definitely a lot of places. And then under the water, of course, there are many land masses that have been completely submerged by water. So there's a lot that we need to figure out and find. What about Antarctica? Where are you at with Antarctica? I think Antarctica used, I think Antarctica was not at the South pole, you know, before. And I think it was actually a flourishing civilization that had, you know, was green and hilly and all that. And that it actually flash, um, it flash froze in a pole shift that occurred. Mm. And, I think that down there, there are probably like pyramids and ancient structures that we could find. 
And now in regards, that's the ancient history component. And there's actually, even when you look at conventional information on that, they even showed the timeline shows that there was a pole shift and we know that Antarctica didn't always exist in that position. But now in regards to extraterrestrials, that's a whole bunch of speculation right there. I do personally feel that, you know, that maybe the Nazis went down there and they actually created a base and there's this extraterrestrial connection going on there. And there's also the theory that it could be the entrance to hollow earth. Those are yeah. all things that I actually believe, but I, I will definitely differentiate the fact that there's evidence to show the archeology, span you know, that there could be ancient sites there, but there's only speculation right now in regards to the UFO extraterrestrial and people's words. Interesting. Have you ever seen a UFO? Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. When was that for you? I saw like three in my life and um, two of them. I remember one of them was six years ago and another one was like 11 years ago. Wow. Wow. How about you? I've never seen one, but I've only, well, maybe I have a, but B, uh, (laughs) I don't, I, I've never had that moment. I've never done the Steven Greer SE five. I mean, I did the app as soon as that movie came out, but uh, (laughs) for those that aren't familiar with it, check out close encounters of the, fifth kind on Amazon, on Amazon iTunes. It's very fascinating. Um, But actually I I've never, I've never gone out and done a formal, I'm going to communicate with them and see something move. But I, after watching that movie, it makes me think there's something going on. Yeah. I've, I've done that once, like went out there with people to try to do something and like attract, you know, an ET uh, we didn't see anything that moment. The times that I saw UFOs were completely random. One time I was at the beach in Newport Beach here in California, and I saw this like little light in the sky. And all of a sudden, what looked like a wormhole opened up, and then it got sucked into it, and then it disappeared. Whoa. And you were, the most on, were you on mushrooms then? No, no. It was like, no, it was like 10 a.m. I just walked from my house over to the beach, and that's what we saw. Yeah. So. That was the most tangible. And the other one was um, I was coming back from a festival in San Diego and then I still wasn't on anything. <laughs> and then the, all of a sudden, like this, um, there's this light in the sky and then it blew up and then half the sky became neon blue, like half oh. the sky. And then the next day, the military in San Diego, you might know about this one, it was pretty big six, seven years ago, um, said that it was a, miss, a routine missile test, right, of mm. one of their rockets. And it was all over the news here. But then I started doing research and the missile that they said emits a red hint, not a blue hint. And there was all these holes in it. And they took 24 hours to release a statement of what it was. So there were all these holes in it. So to me, it looked like there might have been a UFO. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. What do you make of someone like Elon Musk who just came out and publicly disavowed UFOs and yeah. presence of aliens on Earth? What's your take on that? So I looked at that Joe Rogan episode very carefully because um, I've been also on the fence of like, you know, is he like, is he one of us? Is Does he know about this stuff? <laughs> yeah. Or is he like part of the, you know, like the other, this, this, I don't like to say the other side, but, or is he like just unconscious to it and actually energizing like a timeline that isn't for the betterment of humanity? Mm. So, um, so I've been looking at him carefully and then I have a lot of friends, you know, friends with Teslas, even that I like love him because they have a Tesla, but they're you, into UFOs, right? So when he said, um, when Joe Rogan told him all the evidence, right? And then he kept saying over and over, well, I don't know. There's not enough evidence for it. I'd have to look into it. It showed me and I would have to, I could watch it again and we could like comment on it, like literally and break it down. But 
um, it showed me that he, even though Joe Rogan was saying this evidence and where it is and how to get it, he kept going back to the fact that he doesn't know anything or wouldn't know any of that stuff because there's no evidence for it. And if there is, he would look into it. And when then Joe Rogan said, do you even spend the time to think about this stuff and UFOs? He goes, no, not really. You're into space and UFOs and eat, uh, space and advanced craft and going out into space. And you know about all, all this information. And so many of these credible witnesses have come out that have provided so much information. And you're about to say that there's no evidence for it? <laughs> because he said that, hey, if he said that, yeah, there's, I've seen some stuff or I've heard of things because he's heard of it and people already asked him. And, but I don't truly believe, then I would have accepted it more but the fact that he tried to act like he doesn't even know what he was talking about in regards to it it made me think that there's some holes in there yeah i i'm actually curious about what you think as somebody that is very much i i imagine a lot of people that say they take the red pill Mm -hmm. would align with some of the things that you put out there in the world uh i'm curious what your thoughts are even with the pandemic because elon musk was somebody very early on in the pandemic last spring that was putting up cryptic tweets saying take the red pill encouraging people to come to work uh and i i believe for a long time that people especially more conspiratorial minded people were thinking oh yeah he's on our side he knows what's going on here he's into aliens was he just putting up a front what was that stuff what's going on with this guy yeah well we got to realize that just because someone believes something you do doesn't mean that he believes all your other things too true because there are there are so many people that were about going back to work or not getting vaccinated or something like that, right? And hundreds of different types of communities were all on the same page about it. So just because yeah. he was throwing up cryptic things about what's going on with the economy and that he's not getting his, you know, people aren't getting to um, go to work there and he wants to move out of California doesn't mean he's into all the UFO stuff. But I would say that I was watching it carefully too. I, but I'm so neutral. Unless there's a smoking gun, I'm not going to jump to anything. So when... Um, he said all that stuff. I was observing too. I was like, hmm, is he into this stuff? Does he know about this UFO stuff? Is he like like waiting to release it? Or maybe he has the contract with the government in order to use this technology to be the one to take it out into space. Because if you're a private company, you have more of an ability to fund things more immediately and get things done. Maybe he's the arm of them, you know, using this advanced technology. These are kind of questions that I've been having in my head around him. And just recently after the Joe Rogan episode really is when I shifted and I, I feel that he's really not uh, attempting to disclose anything. Mm. I don't know what his agenda is. I don't know, but I don't think he's, he's on the disclosure path. Right, right, right. Mm. Well, uh, then do you think that uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, to the stars Academy and, and more public ventures to blink One Eighty Two getting, getting exposure. I mean, I know that alien guys are very, there, so there's some hardcore extraterrestrial people that think that whole thing is crap. It's a total deep state yeah. cover. What's the, what's your thoughts? All right. So I've done a lot of research and I know a lot of people that were a part of this and um, reported it too. And what I've, my personally feel is that, so let's give back the timeline, right? So, you know, Roswell may or may have not happened according to, you know, the government. 
and then all of a sudden after that or what some roswell is actually let me just say this the government is now saying that roswell never happened but there were ufo sightings that occurred in the 50s after roswell and that the secrecy actually started after roswell in the 50s after there was the ufo flyover in washington dc in like 57 or something which were actually the nazis from antarctica right mm. so this um so they're saying that this is such a huge topic. I want to lay it out. Okay. Yeah, no, I want you to clarify me. Roswell because because there was that Joe Rogan episode with the woman yeah. that came on that said, oh, no, yeah, it was a whole thing. And they they got what did she say? There were kids that they had dressed up as aliens that they used to scare yeah. uh, the what was it? Russia. We were trying to scare or Cuba. I don't even remember. Um, it, it was a story about con- creating aliens as a way of scaring yeah. dictators in other countries. Yeah. That seems like it's a great way to dismiss Roswell. Uh, But what actually happened there? That's well, that has to be BS, because the fact is that within one day, they changed the 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 thing from UFOs to something else. It didn't even have enough time to stick into the media in order to have that impact. What Mm. she's saying it was trying to do. They didn't even do it long enough. It didn't have that impact of scaring the um, Russia, you know. So, okay, so Roswell. Well, first, let's just say. In December, with the last COVID um, bill that came out in December, there was also a clause in there spearheaded by Marco Rubio and Harry, Senator Harry Reid that there's 180 days to disclose all information that the government has in regards to UFOs, ETs, all this stuff. So they actually started dumping it immediately. It has the June 25th is the deadline, but there's been around three dumps since then. And um, what do you mean by them, dumps? Like, I mean. Um, declassified document dumps. Okay, okay. They're not so, just tossing out stuff, though. I yeah, wouldn't be yeah. surprised if the government did burn files before they're going to release them. Just it because. could, but this is, I'll tell you why I think it might not be as well, because the whole thing with not telling us about ETs is the whole concept of that they're not ready for it. That's what's been said for so long. Right. We're not ready for it. So now that we're ready for it, well, it's not that we're ready for it. It's inevitable. It's coming out. There's too many activists the one to know the truth that they got to come out with it. They wanted to figure out how can we do it, that it makes it look like we didn't know about it as well. Hmm. Guess what? Private organ, private three letter, um, uh, I mean, three letter um, federal agencies, FBI, CIA, NSA, they take the fall because the directors of all those organizations are no longer there that were there at the time that decided on the secrecy. So now the government has completely separated themselves from the, arm of the military and the defense department that has been the ones to hold this secrecy compartmentalized. So now instead of the government being at fault for hiding some truth that could have taken us into advanced future and make us a hundred years more technologically advanced and cured world hunger and poverty and all this stuff, because that's all could have happened. Instead it becomes who were the people that were in charge 50, 60 years ago that did this, we're the government and we demand you come to tell us the truth. Interesting. So it's they've completely made it that they're not at fault for when it comes out and they've taken control of the narrative. So now back to Roswell and please do interrupt me anytime. No, no, this I is great. Ramble. This is great. Right. I, I'm, I'm fascinated. Tell me, tell okay. us the truth about Roswell. So Roswell, uh, I mean, I went down to Roswell with Paula Harris. She's a researcher. And then I also, um, we did this whole live stream from the Roswell museum there. And we hung out with Clifford Stone, who was one of the people that were there on the ground. Um, for Roswell. And he lived in Roswell. He never left after he went to Roswell. So um, so while we're there, we're, we're interviewing him, getting a lot of information about this thing. And also, you know, 
doing our research, it seems like Roswell most likely did happen. There's not, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it did happen, but recently on the first dump after December, they, um, the NSA's website, if you type in on the internet, you search NSA CIA UFO, NSA CIA UFO, it'll be the NSA's website with the CIA's documents that were released last month, right? So the NSA is, I don't know why they're their database right now. And on it, on it, there's a document there of an independent research study done by the government, which I don't understand how it's independent because it's done by the government. Yeah. But on Roswell, disproving that it actually happened at all, right? Huh. Saying that after our research, this never happened. And then two weeks later, there was another declassified dump saying Roswell did happen from another federal agency, which goes to show that they are lying and there's some confusion going on there. So, yeah. so whether it happened or not is up to everybody's own, you know, you come to your own conclusion. So what they're trying to push now is that the Roswell thing did not happen. And the reason why they're trying to say that is because if they admit that Roswell happened, it admits that all this time, all these TV shows, all these people, all these newspapers, all these journalists were right and they were lying all along. But if mm. they say that a UFO and then it becomes a government issue. But if they say that, you know, there were some things that we started seeing in the 50s in the skies and then we saw them in World War II and they were called Foo Fighters and we have no idea what they were. And we've been looking at them ever since, but we still have no idea who these guys are. But these com- these organizations looking at it. It changes everything. So we we fast forward up until the secrecy of um, the 2000s, right? Continues the disclosure. Everything. Everybody's trying to get this information disclosed. Now we have um, ever since Project Mockingbird, a whole entire um, CIA operation and, Feb- and FBI operation where they're working with the news agencies ever since the 70s in order to push narratives that the CIA had. People that were working full-time on the CIA under payroll and CIA were also full-time news anchors. And the CIA was pushing all of this narrative to them, right? This is all common knowledge. And, um, and then they say Project Mockingbird was canceled. But what usually happens is when a project succeeds, it goes black, um, black budget, you know? So yeah. that's, that's their MO. So it goes black budget. But in the 70s is when they coined the term conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory was a term that was, and this is on the CIA's website, their own declassified documents, because it's been over 50 years now, saying that the CIA came up with the word conspiracy theory and told their news anchors working for all the major news anchors to start pushing it out to make people look crazy that we're talking about UFOs, right? So so everything ever since the 70s was a whole ridicule element of UFOs. Ridicule, 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 laugh, 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 put a little um, ET phone home sign thing in there when you have like a tele, when you have... um, a news show when you're talking about somebody who called in a sighting, make sure you have these little green guys with little things coming out, right, make it right. funny until around 2015, 2016, when Hillary Clinton decides to go on to Jimmy Kimmel. Right. And um, this is in no way supporting Hillary Clinton. Cause I a hundred percent do not. But <laughs> Why am I not <laughs> you surprised? Gotta, you got to throw that disclaimer out there, you know, cause people just like, thank you. If you mentioned it, you're like screw Hillary. But right. anyways, so she goes in Jimmy Kimmel and all of a sudden Jimmy asks the question that she was definitely 
you know, wanted him to ask and was, when you go into the White House, will you go and look at those UFO documents and right. take out Area 51 documents? She goes, oh, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. It's not UFO anymore. It's UAP, 100% scripted freaking thing. Like, they're so stupid for even thinking it wasn't script. Like, we wouldn't get it. And then he goes, right. what's UAP, Hillary? And she goes, unidentified aerial phenomena. What is she doing there? One, she's showing she knows exactly what he's talking about. Two, she no- knows so much that she she is definitely into it and looking into it to the point that she actually knows the terminology and why it's changed. Hmm. And they've now moved away in that same moment from ridiculing ETs and UFOs on all mainstream media outlet to the complete opposite of accepting it and talking about it and giving it the time of day. That's what happened around that same time when Hillary Hillary was on it. Also around the same time, a little bit after, we get Tom DeLonge coming out, right? right, right. Tom DeLonge had already said he was into this for quite some time, but he we didn't know he had ex-NSA members, ex-NASA members, the CIA um, person that left his job two days ago. It was very suspect, right? Every single person on his live stream, on his Twitter feed, and I'm just going to take a step here because I really want your audience to understand what I'm talking about because I don't want to go too fast forward without explaining what happened. Tom DeLonge is the lead singer of Blink-182. He was always into UFOs and ETs. And um, he left Blink-182 to actually pursue this passion. And then a couple of decades later, we find him and he has all these people from NASA, CIA, government officials that have his back. And he's created this organization called TTSA to the Stars Academy. And about a few years ago, they go ahead and do a live stream from his Twitter with all these individuals there. Almost every single one of them left their job within the last week, right? So hmm. another another telltelling thing is it's not like all these guys used to work for them and they were into UFOs and had uh, sightings and they wanted to go into this. They all deliberately left their jobs to become a part of this private organization that was truly just a continuation of the work that they were doing when they were working at these places, NASA and all this stuff. So yeah. Tom DeLong does this whole live stream. And ever since th- what he says is, doesn't say aliens exist, doesn't say who's driving these craft, but he says, we know that there are these advanced craft that are flying around that we can't find out what they are. They're called UAPs. Listen to these stories from these people, from the military. Um, just be excited because pretty soon we're going to create an app and you're going to be able to triangulate and part put down if you have any sightings so that we can track the sightings. And also we're going to start releasing all this amazing technology and entertainment around the crafts that we're finding. That's the summary of everything he said. Not once did he say your alien did not once did he say ET, but the whole entire time he was talking about some craft that is not from Earth. Right. Mm. So ever since then, we've been having drops, continuous drops. He's been everything he's promised he's done. He's created a history channel documentary and putting out this information in regards to UFOs and crafts and metals that have been found that Robert Bigelow had, for example, um, which who is a let me just put my camera back on. Robert Bigelow, for example, who is um, head of um, one of the largest military defense companies in the world. So he was working with them. So now the question that you originally asked is, what is the agenda when it comes to Tom DeLonge and to the Stars Academy and all these people that are jumping onto it saying like, wow, it's finally happening, as opposed to the other individuals that are saying, no, there's some agenda-oriented thing there. Yeah. If If you look back at any of Tom DeLonge's original material on UFOs and ETs, he actually thought that they were demons 
that there were negative energies and entities that were invading the earth. He hasn't actually put anything out there saying that these are benevolent beings. If you look at what he's doing as well, or that they could be, if you look at what he's doing as well, is they're actually focusing on what are these crafts so that they can um, fortify themselves and build up the military power in order to defend earth in case these these um, flying saucers attack us, even though they have admitted themselves, there is no evidence that they can, they are hostile at all. And they have never attacked us in the thousands of different sightings that have occurred when it comes to the military. So my belief is that Tom DeLonge is a part of, you know, call it a cabal, call it a part of whatever, but some sort of agenda that's connected to the government in order to disclose the fact that ETs and UFOs are real, but in a way where we're not focusing on who these beings are and whether they have good intentions with us, but focusing on mil mm -hmm. militarizing ourselves even more, uh, weaponizing space, and then also creating this separation from us and those ETs. It looks like that's what's happening. But it seems that what they're doing is backfiring on them. I think that's their intention, but what's really happening is just more people are becoming in the know about this all and individuals like myself and yourself are out there still spreading this information. So there are more people that are waking up and actually coming to our platforms now, you know, to really understand this. Yeah. Well, that's a great answer. It really is. I, it makes me wonder about, I, I just, I think the thing that's tough, Neil, is that there's disclosure sounds good. And then there's disclosure of a disclosure agenda. And it even reminds me of what happened with Q, where people were going, well, QAnon is a psyop uh, from the left. I'm going, okay, so now facts are not facts, alternative facts, alternative facts aren't even alternative facts. There's always an agenda. Confusion is the agenda. How do you tune into what's real versus what's a false narrative these days? Yes. So discernment is key. Um, I have my discernment radar. I feel is is pretty strong, and I'm I'm a healthy skeptic in general. So for me to really like understand things, I have to do my own research. But what I see is if there is any ounce of a doubt, right, that what is happening is not what I think it is or what I'm being told it is. If there's any doubt at all, and I decide to go 100% that this is the truth there's some underlying trauma within me that is grabbing onto that, that is making it be my reality, even though there is, it's not a hundred percent, you know, and when it comes to um, like many different movements, um, a lot of people jump onto it because, you know, we, there's a lot of struggle and strife in the world. So we want to jump on something. We need something to help us and to help us get out of this, you know, first of all. So when you jump onto something like that and you still haven't looked at it from a holistic perspective that there's actually might be evidence to suggest that it's incorrect and not true then maybe you should decide whether you want to like maybe you can talk about it and say like hey this is what i i've been researching and I'm into but if there's a doubt you always got to be open to the fact that you could be wrong mm. and i feel right now a lot of people in this world are not ready to drop their beliefs around things and when something um something challenges their beliefs, a lot of people double down on it, you know, and um, because of the fact that we identify with it so much and we want real change to happen on this planet. I'm not going to talk about any specific movement, but that's what just I've noticed. It's really hard to shift people at this point. If people have made their mind up, they've made their mind up. And when it doesn't go the way it's going to go, some other thing is created about when it's going to happen later. 
you know, always looking for something, always coming up with a plan of what's going to happen next. So when one date doesn't work out, what's the next date? These are things that I really, I stay away from. So to also answer part of that question is when I'm given dates and prophecies, those are things I don't go a hundred percent in because no one truly knows what's going to happen. You know, Wait, you give dates and prophecies. What, no, what's no. Up with when, your... when people give dates and prophecies to me, Oh, interesting. <laughs> I was going to say, do you, do you predict? Are no. you a prophet? It's I don't, might be. I don't go with, I, I mean, we're all prophets in our own way, but I would say <laughs> that um, I, do, I personally do not gravitate towards those that are giving me dates on what things are going to be manifesting on. And even though I won't throw them out, like with, I'll like listen to it, but I'm not going to base my whole reality on the fact that this change is going to happen on this date. What was your perception then on 2012? Because I know you started a, uh, a probably before everybody started doing these fringe Facebook groups, you started mm -hmm. a group about it. Uh, what was your take on the significance of that date? Why was there a date attached to it? So, well, as most people know, you know, the end of the Maya calendar, which is supposed to be around that date. But then there's also been speculation that it was actually a period in a window. Uh, I do feel that a lot of things happened on on that date that didn't have to just do with aliens landing or spiritually ascending. A lot of individuals, including myself, thought that December 21st, 2012 was going to be something so huge that it was going to change, that we could shift. Many individuals in the Ascension community thought that on that date, we will literally shift from third dimension to fifth dimension, right? Yes, yes. And, um, and I believed that in 80%, but I wasn't 100% attached to it. But I did think like, oh my God, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Are the skies going to split open? Is the sun going to yeah. be out there for three days? Um, my friend went down to uh, the pyramid in Yucatan because he was waiting for Chrissy Cottle to land. He was like, he literally believed that the ET from the Mayan, the Aztec gods were going to land, right? So, and I was like, yeah, probably. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Now, then later I started looking into it more and a lot of things did happen on the earth. You know, there's a lot of revolutions that occurred. Um, the U.S. started showing a negative um, instead of a positive income balance, started showing a negative balance in um, some aspects. It's been years since I researched it. Um, and so basically, like a lot of things were becoming more transparent uh, the lifting of the veil may have happened. There's, you can't say nothing happened. You can't say something happened either because things happen all the time. And so things did happen on that day. And you could definitely categorize and say, okay, because all these things happened on that day, these are all parts of things that will lead to uh, an ascended world. But one of the things that I really liked about what was spoke about that day was the end of quarantine is that humanity has been under a quarantine for millennia now on this planet, meaning that the level of our consciousness wasn't at a level where we were able to have open contact, open communication with ETs. And there was also a law of non-interference where the beings wouldn't interfere with our um, trajectory on the way we're evolving on this planet. And we had to evolve and reach a level of consciousness ourselves before they interact with us. So another you know, prophecy about that time was that it was the end of quarantine. And since December 21st, 2012, the law of non-interference has been taken away. And now ETs that, you know, want to interact with us are able to, but a lot of them are choosing not to because we're still not at the level, you know. However, there are groups of people and some that we work with that claim to be having contact experiences, mass contact experiences in the jungles of Peru and more than that. And that could also be a component of it that, you know, maybe after 2012, end of quarantine happened, and they're not just going to show themselves up on the front of any government building. They, they're going to have open contact with humans individually. 
because it's the individual level and the conscience that matters rather than the hierarchy and the structure of it all. So mm. to answer your question, I just have more questions really, you know, but, <laughs> but that, those are my thoughts around that topic. Like something could have happened, something could not have happened, but maybe quarantine ended, but how are we even going to quantify and know if that actually occurred or not? So wait, tell me this, and this is just, uh, I this, maybe it's a hardball question, but I bet you have a good answer for it. Uh, if something could have happened, and something yeah. couldn't have happened. Why can't you just say that about any period of time? What made this time different? Yes. So that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, is it different or isn't it? If if certain things, <laughs> yeah, if right. certain things did happen, like the end of quarantine happened, right? That is something huge about that day. However, we have no way to prove it. <laughs> you know? So wait a minute. Why can't we say that March? We're doing this interview March 9th, twenty twenty one. You know, hey, look, how do we know that today isn't the day that? Yeah, yeah, true that. Lifted? That's what I'm saying. That's why I don't go back. That's why I don't do <laughs> dates, man. You know, and what I would say about that day as well is what I really did notice was there was okay. There was a shift, and this is what the shift was, bro. Thousands, okay, hundreds of thousands of people thought that the end of the world as we knew it was happening, and now, and now that um, they don't. <laughs> or well, uh, people did tell me them. December 21st, 2020 was the date. I had someone on the show that's an interdimensional, what is she, a multidimensional uh, awakening coach. And she said on the show, yeah, Greg, we got that wrong. You know, I've been talking to them, the Arcturians. Well, they, 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 it was, it was, we, we in the community got it wrong. It was December 21st, no. 2020. Yeah. So dates I'm not about, right. But what, what I did notice is many of these individuals that were all about a date before then all became more in the moment. I wasn't even planning any event until after 2012. I was doing a lot of events. I was doing a, like 60 a year. I stopped planning all my events up until December 21st because I didn't know if I was going to still be on earth the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> so and a lot of people did conscious producers, conference people, a lot of people didn't plan anything because they didn't know what was going to happen. So what did happen was people that were all about like, oh, when is this change going to happen? Started doing something which was even better. They started living in the moment and not worrying about when things are going to end, but how to be present now. And which is really important because it's a paradox. The ascension, right? The ascension disclosure. A lot of people don't get triggered by that because they think that we're waiting for something to happen. Oh, I don't want to go anywhere. Why are we waiting for something? But the paradoxical nature of ascension is the only way you can be and live in an ascended world is by living in the moment. Mm. So what was happening with all these light workers waiting for a day in the future? They were just like not happy with the way the world is right now. And, and how the, the trick really is, and for me, I've figured is how can I be happy and joyous with myself and the world, but still take action to make it better? That's interesting. You know? So that's what I noticed a lot of people started doing afterwards. Yeah. Tell me about this. That That is very interesting uh, in terms of just, well, even your background with Hinduism and, and certainly the Eastern religions uh, very much are about living in the moment. That's sort of the mm -hmm. at least the popularization. And if you're going to teach the principles of Buddhism, for instance, you're definitely going to lean into that Eckhart Tolle power of now sort of thing. But the mm -hmm. thing that Eckhart Tolle doesn't go into mm -hmm. is telepathic communications with interdimensional beings. Yeah. How do you get there? How do you, I mean, I understand that there's the Sumerian tablets and there's evidence of 
uh, different life forms on Earth. I mean, is it just the combination of disparate things that make you go, yeah, it's not just stories. These beings are here. How do you really know that these creatures, if you will, these? Yeah. Yeah. What's your belief rather than just living in the moment and kumbaya, man? Yeah. yeah. Why does it have to go there? Well, first of all, when you're talking about, you know, different realms and realities and dimensions and times, the, the living in the moment exists because the time, as we know, is just a construct of us living on this planet without distance to our sun. And it's been said that all these incarnations and experiences and ET lives are simultaneously happening because time is just that type of construct, right? So right. what you're doing is you're there's only one now, but there's many moments. So mm. you're literally tapping into a different moment in this one now because it's all happening in this moment. And then what uh, what I like about what Bashar says, and Daryl Anka, he channels a guy called Bashar, and yeah, he right. says that basically uh, what happens when you're having this communication with the ETs is it's a consciousness shift. You're meeting them halfway. You're basically um, shifting your frequency to a level, and they're shifting their frequency to a level in which you can create communication and thought pa- and thought products thought patterns and processes can be exchanged from one another. So that is what how he explains what is happening when you're having this interdimensional communication. Now, why does it have to go there? When I started going into the Sumerian scriptures and reading all this text and realizing that most of the world religions, especially the largest ones in the world, actually pulled their information from Sumerian scriptures, and especially when it comes to the three major religions of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, um, they're like literally from the Sumerian scriptures, but the Sumerian scriptures are talking about the same people, but they're talking about them being ETs. So I was like, okay, so either all of this is BS because they pulled from this book that isn't even talking about what they're saying, or the original scripture is more in alignment with the truth. Now, mm. the the evidence, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to go with the original. And and then to back that up a little more was things like the fact that in the Sumerian tablets of creation, there was an image of our solar system with all the planets in the right position. The solar system image is about that big. All the planets in that little area are in the right position and the right exact fractional distance from each other. Right? Oh, that's pretty weird. So, so, and then when you have the fact that the um, every single um, brick limestone in the Great Pyramid of Giza equals the same exact distance and light years from us to um, Sirius A, you know, and then when you have um, the the square reference of the like um, the outside of it is four hundred thirty two squared, which is like the speed of light, you know, and you start having all these things that are extremely cosmic and the pyramid code for just to talk about that one is a seven part series on Netflix will actually break down the Egyptian pyramids in such a level of the equations and the connection to the stars and the hieroglyphs that were not interpreted correctly and talking about where they came from, from the stars. So many things that like, unless you have the greatest telescope, you know, you won't be able to discover, but then the, the information that they had are things that we can't even prove right now. Right. And that's just one element. Someone can go like, oh, no, that's just them. Like maybe they knew this. Or they might be smarter. But then you see this across the world in many different areas that there's this information that they knew. Right. And the Sumerian s- scripture having the, the solar system there at the right proportions and the right fraction and distance from each other is just one of the smoking guns. So those are all the elements that really started making me believe that. And then mm. as well, if you look at Darwinism, you know, Darwinism is not considered a fact. It's considered a theory. 
right? Right. And right. the reason why it's considered a theory is because there are some inconsistencies. But the way the world works is that if there is only a couple of inconsistencies, let's sweep it under the rug because we don't want to mess up the conventional wisdom. So one of the things in Darwinism is that homo, um, homo magnum became homo sapien, no, cro-magnum, cro-magnum, which is our ancestor, what we were right before we were us, became homo sapien in a matter of decades, right? Mm. So the evolutionary, everything works perfectly except for just a few inconsistencies. And one of them happens to be with the fact that one species of our evolution evolved at an extremely fast rate that really is not understandable or quantifiable. So that to me was like, oh my God, that's another that goes exactly with what the Sumerian scriptures are saying, that there was some sort of evolutionary um, process that was sped up on planet Earth through genetic hybridization. And even individuals like Bob Lazar, who say he worked at Area 51, he said from his information, completely from linear science and linear UFO information, got info from the people that were um, hired to him, that the beings that they got these crafts from said that they are actually our ancestors um, on this planet and that they were responsible for kickstarting our evolution to become these sentient beings and that they would go around all over the galaxy to different places. They would find a, a, a species on the planet that had opposable thumbs and the ability to curi be curious about life, curiosity, and they would genetically mutate that, um, that animal in order to create a sentient being like we are right now. And they did that everywhere. And earth was just one of those experiences. So there's just a lot of information and even government documents that back this up. Right. Really? Tell me about those. Okay. So let's go into the CIA document that got released two years ago. So um, the John Greenwald from the black vault, amazing dude. He's, he's the, one oh, of the guys. Yeah. What a cool that, website. That yeah. Is. He like sends stuff to the government to release things all the time and they keep releasing it. So a lot of information was actually released in the 90s, believe it or not. Many of the documents that we're going to see now have actually been released since the 90s. However, they, they were not online. You would have to go to um, the something, I forget, the something library in Washington, D.C., and there was like one of those old school machines that you would have to put in the codes in and then put in the keywords, yeah. and then it would show you it all scanned, you know, like the old school library machines, right? So that's how it used to be discovered up until like five years ago. That's a great point. I didn't even think right. about that. So so unless you went there, one, and unless you knew what the keywords were, two, or unless you knew what the code words were for the actual operations, you would not find it. Yeah. And then people started suing the government more and more up until five, six years ago. And then they made it that the government had to put it all online categorize it and make it a database. Wow. So in that came these documents. And one of them is a remote viewing session with the CIA and a remote viewing specialist of Mars 1 million years ago. <laughs> what? Right? If you type in- um, 1 Project, million years ago? Project Stargate. It might've been longer than 1 million, but at least a million years ago. See, when I think of Project Stargate, I definitely think of, uh, well, yeah, or actually I think of uh, Channon and Men Who Stare at Goats and, uh, yeah, that in, uh, that remote viewing initiative, like teaching yeah. people in the CIA to become psychic spies. Yes. I didn't know that it was about. It went far. 
<laughs> how deep oh, it went. No, it went everywhere, man. Like I have, I just did six remote viewing courses this year alone so far in the last three months because we do courses on our website. And I'm just yeah. like, I, and some of the people that are teaching are some of the people that literally were the first ones in the wave of learning this stuff. Wow. And it's just like, dude, they tried it on everything and it was open sourced. Every government in the world pretty much took remote viewing and has it. Start, um, Russia has their own remote viewing program. They're remote viewing all types of stuff. There's a terrorist remote viewing um, um, group. Whoa. There's um, there's one of the people that I worked with. Um, he actually was, this is how they do it, dude. They create a private company that's a remote viewing company and it's a shell company for remote viewers. So they, they trade this private company on the stock market like a regular company under whatever name it has. But what it really is, is actually a remote viewing uh, firm. And then the U.S. government contracts the remote viewing firm that's being like traded publicly, like open, like it's a regular company and contracts them to come in and remote view for them. So none of the remote viewers are actual federal agents, but they're all privately run private company running these remote viewing programs. So they did. Okay. So now to get back to the remote viewing Stargate session in it, they, the dude was remote viewing Mars a million years ago. And if you type in remote view Mars CIA on internet, you'll probably find the website. And um, in the transcript, it's talking about giants, pyramids, the different ETs that existed on there. And this is the government's own website and they funded this. Right. So like these are the, all the different pieces that are basically coming together now that is making me realize the rabbit hole is much deeper than I ever thought. I was into this for a long time. But then when I found like the remote viewing transcript, for example, started reading that I was like, dude, this is like way more crazy than I even imagined. Yeah, this is what do you think the merits of these remote viewing sessions are? Are Is there do you have stories of times where uh, one of these companies actually remote viewed something significant and mm -hmm. use that knowledge to change the world? Where, where is that evidence? So okay, what is that? This, evidence? Is, this is a cool one here. Um, OK, so when it comes to changing the world, I would say that most of the people that are working for the governments in the world aren't really doing it for the betterment of humans, but they're doing oh, it for great. the betterment of the government. Like, right. For example, I mean, yeah, like they were looking for terrorists, but yeah, they also created terrorism. Right. Know? Right. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so, okay. So one example, which is a really cool one is that, um, so the same individual that worked for the FBI, he was this is how he found out about ETs. He was remote viewing for the FBI and his he had a team of people that he was project managing because they call it there's a project manager and the project manager is the one that basically doesn't remote view but kind of is the cohesive element that takes all this the scratch that they're writing and stuff and puts it together and runs the whole program. But he's like yeah. the he's a really good remote viewer, but he doesn't remote view for this because he's managing the project. So he was the project manager of this and then he then he went in and started actually remote viewing the subject as well. So what they were doing was they were remote viewing Malaysia, I believe it was. And in Malaysia, they were remote viewing for, what was it? Um, they were remote viewing, again, okay, yeah, a terrorist organization in Malaysia. And they were looking out for evidence that what was happening over there. So as he was doing um, you know, the remote viewing sessions, he started having like, some interference come up in his sessions and he didn't know what it was. And then he... Uh, one day he goes to sleep. He's at night sleeping. He wakes up in the middle of the night and there's this being standing right in front of him uh, at the end of his bed. And this being has a face of a firefly, but it's a humanoid being, 
right? Oh my gosh, what? Yeah, and yeah, and then the bean goes to him, like, "Hey, you basically you need to stop doing what you're doing, and stop remote viewing." And then he goes, um, "Why? What's what's happening? And why? Like, first of all, he was tripped the fuck out, right? And he's like, well, what's going on?' Right. And then the, there's the firefly being said." There is a species of fireflies that exist here in Malaysia that only exist two places in the world. This species is our ancestor. They are building a dam in Malaysia and the water that's going to be stopped from the dam are going to kill off our entire species. I'm here to stop it and to change the consciousness of the people doing it so they don't do this, right? And and the guy the firefly goes, "When you remote view, you change the timelines and we're unable to have the effect that we need. We need you to stop remote viewing this area. What? Wait a minute. Why couldn't he get a picture of this guy? So <laughs> it was it, in his sleep. I mean, there's so many different. I mean, reasons. was it a dream? Could it have been an no, ash? It could have been a projection of something. He was, said it, he said it, he was awake for it. But first of all, he could have been shocked. Secondly, it could have been a frequency thing where it could have been an apparition. You know, he laid yeah. out the whole story, but I don't remember every single detail. But so that happened. And then he didn't, he didn't know anything about UFOs and ETs, right? When this happened. Oh, that's was, pretty weird too. So yeah. remote viewers, remote viewers don't go in with the UFO knowledge. They go in with the consciousness knowledge, psychic awareness knowledge. They're not like, oh, I'm looking for UFOs. So he found this ET and then he changed his... Um, corporation to start remote viewing ETs all over the world and started focusing on extraterrestrials. And he's then now he has all this research and all these remote viewing sessions. Oh my in gosh, which that's so cool. They've had the contact with different ET beings. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that story goes like longer and longer because it really goes back into the fact that he started remote viewing a mountain in Seattle in which there was a anomaly of a magnetic field anomaly going on there. And then he started realizing then that there were these beings coming through light ships out of this anomaly onto earth. And that led him into the whole UFO circuit. Then now he's a speaker on the, in the conferences. Wow. That is so fascinating. And what do you, you know, uh, Neil, I know that you, well, you have numerous things on your existing website, portal to ascension.org. I know that it's getting an overhaul, but you can even just sign up to receive hundreds of hours of free presentations and, Mm -hmm. and information, and you're doing different classes. What, uh, what kind of things do people have access to if they pursue this line of uh, research? Yes, for sure. So I started creating events around 2006, 2000, uh, went up until 2012, created two large conferences. But for the last six to seven years, I've created this online university in which we're doing about 110 events a year. 80% of them are online. Wow. Um, the other tw- the other 20% of them are live conferences. You know, like I have a, I have a cannabis conference, a two-day cannabis conference coming up on healing properties of cannabis next week, for example, because I'm starting to do things on plant medicine. But what you can find in regards to topics is basically whatever I've had the privilege of really thinking about over the last 16 years of what I wanted to know, I've created an event on. So I have over 10,000 10, hours of presentations with hundreds of presenters all under Portal to Ascension. Our website is like Netflix for consciousness presentations and yeah. um, very interactive. So the member site, you log in, you get 3,000 hours of free footage just because you know I have so much content up there and you get to sort by topics. Uh, I'll just read some of them off. We have advanced technology, you know, everything from future advanced technology, UFO advanced technology, um, medical breakthroughs, advanced technology, 
ancient civilizations and true world history, my favorite topic, di- dissecting yeah. um, archaeology, uh, researching new areas, anthropology, uh, documentaries that I'm creating with my wife on different air- sacred sites around the world. Uh, we got Ascension. We got, there we go. We got Ascension. We got Conscious Business. We have Conspiracies, Divine Feminine, Evolution of Consciousness, ETs. <laughs> this is your, this is music to my ears right now. <laughs> Heart <laughs> Chakra Opening Events. Hello, these are some of the categories. Our new website has like 10 times more categories because I broke it down hardcore. Sacred oh my gosh, even James Redfield, you've done a Celestine Prophecy event. Before. James Redfield, we produce all of, so some speakers, we're a full-on event production company for consciousness. Uh, yeah. Many speakers we do, we, we do all their events for. Some of them we do a few events for. James Redfield, I produce everything for at this moment, and we are on a tour. We started the tour two years ago. We're taking a hiatus right now because of everything that's going on. But we're on a never-ending tour, basically, where I'm going to be producing all of his events probably for at least five to ten more years. Oh, my god! We have plans to go to Australia everywhere. Um, Stephen Greer, I, I produced all of his events for five years. I haven't worked with him for, like, four years, but I used to do his stuff, too. So, you know, we, we basically are one-stop shop for consciousness. So you yeah. go to our website, learn pretty much a lot of information and then by the time you're done with it there will be 10 times more content there so it won't stop and then we also take speakers on tours so speakers do not have to be the business side of them producing their events we can run one thing to everything we can run your planes and you do everything yourself your flights or (laughs) we can run everything hotels all that stuff so at this point i've probably done at least 1500 events in the last eight years and um it just keeps continuing. Which I think I'm. Bigger bigger. I think I'm ascending to wanting to become you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, bro. <laughs> yeah, I think I am. I'm looking at this and going, "How do I That's become hilarious. this guy, dude? I I am loving this. This is like <laughs> I. I'm gonna sign up for every event. I mean, you. How do you even have time to appear at this event, Forgery Unmasked, coming March 27th, 29th? Uh, produced by Omar Fazy. We'll put a link in the show notes. You're gonna be there. Um, but I look, I. I, I, I'm totally all in, man. I mean, you are, you're, you're lifting up consciousness here. Um, this is so cool. And people can even book private sessions with you. What, what's happening in these sessions? So I put that up there because a lot of people, like I have a chat field on my website. It's very easy to get a hold of me, but I'm also working 15 hours a day, but I'm really working 20 hours a day because I dream about this stuff. You know, like, I'm like, dude, like when I'm driving on two hour drives, I've like created 10 years of plans, you know, like, so it's always like, um, so I forgot your question because I go on a tangent. <laughs> I was going to say what people, when people book an hour session <laughs> okay, with you, you I mean, what transformative experience are they yes. having? So what, because I have that ability for people to contact me so immediately, uh, I've been inundated with all types of information, um, questions. I've had, um, you know, it's a chat box on my website for customer service for events. However, I, people try to use it like a psychic hotline because they, they yeah. have like, they're like, what is, what is the meaning of like, you know, grand questions. And this is supposed to be a chat thing for the website and I don't have time to answer all these questions. So I decided to, you know, allow for people to have time with me where they, they can go into these questions and really ask. So pretty much anybody can ask me, I would say any question, I probably have some comment on it or a place that I can direct them to because I work with so many people. But my favorite topics are 
Um, some people just want to have a conversation on UFO disclosure. A lot of people want to know what's going on and the agendas and the and the timeline of it all and how it started. And I spent a good 20 minutes explaining that to you, right? So some people just want to know and have it all be pieced together. Other people are having some... Um, some troubles in life and want to know what is the best way to get out of certain depressions and anxieties. So I might talk about plant medicines and recommend different areas, but I would never tell someone to go and do it. I would tell them to do their own research first, but I would do that. Or I would show them different places they can go and have meditative experiences based on their budget in order for them to be able to transcend those traumas. One of which would be the uh, Vipassana 10 day silent meditation retreat that I refer people to a lot, but Ultimately, I'm just there to listen and to provide feedback on any topic people want to discuss. I do love to talk about ancient history and break that down for people. If someone wants to talk about that, UFOs for sure, um, tools and techniques, how to get out of depression and anxiety, because I spent so long trying to do that for myself. Yeah. And and then um, also conscious business. I created, uh, you know, a, a really well um, sustained business uh, from scratch and Within this, I'm actually, I'm, there's like 10 different businesses out of Portal to Ascension that have stemmed from it. And I'm working with so many different speakers, speakers that don't even work with each other individually are working with themselves, with each other on my platform because I'm all about that unity, you know? So yeah. due to that, I'm able to give a lot of insight on how to create your own businesses, business and set up, you know, branding for yourself. So people talk about that, but I really try to go deep into the how to be a conscious business with um, integrity and be transparent about certain things. So when people have questions on how to build their structure, I could. What does that, that mean too. to you? Conscious business. Yeah. I think conscious, people toss it around these days, but yeah. Yes. How would you clarify that? So the whole thing with, um, with capitalism is, you know, capitalism, they only really had one flaw. It's not completely bad because people go on both sides of it. Some people say capitalism sucks. Some people say be conscious about capitalism. The real thing is capitalism actually did get millions of people out of poverty, even in communist countries. However, um, when it comes to capitalism, there was only one rule in the beginning and it still really sticks was that the, the one um, group of people that you are responsible to are the investors and the shareholders. Right. So mm. when you when you have capitalist capitalism that has gone over for 100 years now and you had that as a bottom line, you eventually get into a world where we found out how to be more efficient in taking out the resources of the earth to provide back to the shareholders. Right. So that's what's happened with business. What needs to happen now is there needs to be two things. Yes, you want to definitely provide back the shareholders and investors, but you also want to consider planet um, the planet and other people and how to like what contribution you're doing to people. So that's the bottom line of um, like being a conscious business. Now, in regards to like your practices, it's really about integrity. When it comes to being conscious business, it was really about you doing the inner work with yourself so that you work on your traumas that would make it that you aren't acting consciously with the interactions that you have in business. Does that make sense? Right, right. So it's actually a personal. So I tell people about the structure of it and how we're moving to it and, and the difference between capitalism and, you know, and being conscious about the way you're operating and what to consider when you're doing it. But also it becomes more of like a self-help kind of thing. What kind of things that you need to do in order to be the person that can operate consciously in business?
I think the contradictions are so funny to me because even in this community, uh, the people that are very spiritually minded, conspiratorial, that are tearing down Joe Biden and his communist plans are also, uh, well, when people that are really authoritarian and capitalist are in power, they think capitalism's evil and the big corporations are running everything, too. So, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting that I, at one point I thought people that were more spiritually minded would be totally all in with communism and and just these these kind of more share the wealth man make it equal peace on earth yeah. but now it's very much like no 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 that's evil because it's an agenda and they're uh yeah. well, how do you reconcile that what, what's the move there's a happy medium and within things and i've noticed that a lot of people go to one side or the other and are extreme with it but really the truth kind of lies somewhere in the middle you know when when there, someone wants to give you a raised minimum wage, for example, to jump and say that that's communist just because, you know, you might think some other policies have communist tendencies. That's really, that's an ad hominem, that you're just jumping yeah. to something for no reason, right? So that's what I've noticed is there's a lot of extremeness going on. But I've always felt that what we needed in order for us to have more of an ability to focus on our spirituality is some of our basic needs met. We live in such an abundant universe. We've accepted to have governments controlling and facilitating our experiences. So in that reality, the only way we could have time to even focus on what life really means rather than being on the nine to five grind all the time, stressing ourselves out is if we had our basic needs met. So I was pro universal basic income, you know, because I felt that when we get the universal basic income, people can, you know, spend more time on what matters. Yeah. And what happened instead was COVID. COVID did the exact same thing universal income would have done. It forced people to reflect on who they are without what they think they are, you know? Mm. So, so it's, it started on that level and so uh, what I'm getting at is a lot of individuals believe that universal basic income is straight up communist and moving us in order to that reality. But I say that's just grabbing onto a concept and believing it's that without any evidence to back it, because we do live in an, an abundant universe and we're being taxed left, right and center, like not just from physical taxes, but just the fact that we are resource in the society, that having some income back from the ones that are taxing us isn't us getting free money and moving into a communist society, you know? And I don't really get into policies or anything like that usually because ultimately I don't, I'm just like 100% about what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, but, right. But I think that it's somewhere in between that we having a 100% capitalist society where, um, when welfare is gone and all these things, I don't think is the right way. And then having a 100% society where we're just given everything is just a handout, I don't think is the right way too. So to answer your question, I really do think a lot of times the truth lies somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I could come up with, dude, I could come up with my own freaking doctrine and constitution if you want me to. But <laughs> but I'm not good, like, you know, because I have my own beliefs of what I think would work. Do you, you have know? an idea about a universal uh, economic system that would be bring us closer to utopia? Yeah, okay, so that's, Yes, I can, but I would have to really lay it out because I would basically be like, okay, education, I'll just wrap on that for a little while and then all these different things. There's so many concepts of what we can do. Like in regards to education, um, you know, we're not even teaching kids our real true history. You know, no, I mean? of course, of course. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not teaching um, them what they need in order to be able to be citizens of our world when they grow older. In the old paradigm, it was like we should have taught them how to do taxes. 
you know? Yeah. I don't, I think that might even be changing in itself. We don't need that maybe anymore, but um, it's this, you know, even when it comes to the medical Institute, like you can break every single thing down. A lot of it needs reforming and right. I can have my suggestions right. on it, but ultimately what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to get land in the Yucatan in the next year or two. And I'm going to start building my own city over there. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, wait. Yeah, how? Wait, wait, look, we're talking now. How do you stop from becoming a cult leader, you think? Uh, it's, it's easy. It's easy not to be cult leader because I don't have the cult leader bone in my body at all. I can't. I can't <laughs> you sure? Who says oh, yeah. those other guys did it? No, I, I, can't take, I can't take it when people. It's just something in me where I just want to give credit to others. And I don't really like to be the center of attention, but I do have what I want to create. And I'm, I'm overly considerate, dude, is what it is. I'm overly considerate to the point of a fault that I'll be like, oh, am I taking up too much space? Please, please, please. Have you- <laughs> okay, you've heard it here, folks. <laughs> Neil Gore, before he ascends all the way to power. You've heard it. <laughs> he says he won't, <laughs> but we'll check in in a couple of years. Hey, Neil, uh, I really want to keep going down the rabbit holes with you in the future. I, and even hear your plan for utopia. I, I hope uh, I know your time is precious, but I, I definitely want you to come on again and, and let's roll yeah, more into this. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, you've been great. Thank you so much for coming. My pleasure, brother. Well, there you have it. Come check out Neil Gore at portaltoascension.org as well as in the show notes, Forgery Unmasked. That's right, March 27th through the 29th. Definitely worth checking out. He's going to be there. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a neutral but a good neutral old time. Hey, what do you think? Do you want to join his cult? If you'll come with me, I'll, I'll, I'll join it. Why not? You have to be in a cult at one point in your life. Something to ponder this week. Anyways, thanks for listening. We'll be back with another one very soon. More aliens coming. <laughs>